Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. Dwight, thank you for joining us on Leadership Lessons today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. The Kentucky Baptist Convention was created by churches for churches to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. And so this interview with with you, Dwight, is to help folks better understand what's happening in Frankfurt and how they can be part of it and how they can pray and how they can support your work. So we're, we're grateful for you. But let me introduce you and talk with, about you a little bit about your about your work. So you served for two decades as a Kentucky state representative. So tell us what inspired you to pursue that role. Well, I was always interested in politics, I guess, from the outside as a young, uh, young man or you know, a young boy. And mainly my interest was uh, inspired by my uncles, who one was a sheriff and the other was a county judge at one time. And so I would hear these stories whenever they'd get together about things they'd done and different things. And it just kind of planted that seed in me that maybe, you know, I could have a part someday in the public service section. And I also was, um, I, had a, I was a very visual young man or boy. And so stickers, buttons, things like that. I used to, you know, I've taken my part off of a few uh, light poles and, you know, bumpers even after the election was over. But uh, I just always was interested in it. I like the personalities. Um, it just inspired me. Do you have a collection of bumper stickers and political uh, memorabilia? Oh, yeah. What's uh, what's one of your favorites? What's what's something that you have that you're most proud of? Um, it's a good question. Um, probably some of my. Uh, uh, I've got one button that a gentleman gave me a Ford Dole button, and he was the county chairman, and that was the only one he had. Wow! So he gave that to me as a young man, and now, you know, I, you can buy them now on eBay for you just nothing almost. And so I've got a collection. I give those things away to people. And uh, especially politicians like them. So that's uh, that's fun. A lot of effort goes into making those items. Well, Dwight, you you're also a Christian. You're a believer. So yes. tell us uh, when and how did you become a follower of of Jesus? Well, again, um, I was raised in a, a different denomination, and we were more, I guess, uh, centered on being a member of the church um, than being a Christian to a degree. Or kind of they went hand in hand. We thought. Well, uh, after I got married to my wife, who was a Southern Baptist, and um, started watching Billy Graham some, very soon after that, uh, I was listening to him, and I you know, accepted Christ. I realized I wasn't a Christian, and through the TV ministry, I accepted Christ, called in, you know, and just... Um, it just, you know, I became a Christian. I gave my life to Christ and realized that... Uh, I hadn't been before, even though I thought I was. That, that's especially pertinent today with so many churches through COVID having gone to a Facebook live service or live streaming their services that, you know, Billy, Billy Graham had no idea he's talking to you when he's preaching that yeah. message. And pastors today are preaching to so many people that they yes. may not even realize that they're, that they're, they're reaching. Yes, that's very true. And again, it's so important because I'm even in a group of uh, men you know, we have a Zoom meeting every Thursday, a Bible study, and I've only met one of the guys, and all the rest are scattered around the country, about 10 of us. And so, but I mean, you become brothers in Christ through that. Yeah. So oh, that's amazing. Guy. 
yeah, it's it's a great thing. It's I really look forward to it. So you have uh, you served as a state representative for more than twenty years. What's one of your most memorable st- stories from your time serving as a, a state rep? Well, I was thinking about that earlier. Um, probably uh, the first day that I was in and got sworn in. You know, you go up there and. Of course, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I've never been around anything like this before. I said, I tell people I've been to Frankfurt one time before, and that was, you know, just to go up there as a visitor. So I didn't know anything about it. And so I'm out here, and the first day, there's two butlers. There's Denver Butler, who was D. Butler, and I was D.D. Butler because I'm Dwight D. And so our votes, they had them switched. He was on the opposite party, so we were going procedurally. And of course, everything was, I'm thinking, what do I need to do here? So I asked my seatmate, he said, well, you need to rise to a point of personal privilege. So, <laughs> you know, I said, well, tell me what to do. So I stand up, I tell him I rise to a point of personal privilege, which means you've been offended or something has happened. You know, it wasn't quite the thing to do, but I mean, he was. And so anyway, we got it switched. I told him it was. And my mother was up in the gallery and she said, she looked down and saw me stand up there. What in the world is he going to do or say? <laughs> So I'm probably one of the few that ever rose to a point of personal privilege on their first day by accident. Dwight, that's so. hilarious. If my mother would have been there and I would have done this, my mother would have had the exact same thought. Like, what, <laughs> what on earth is he about to get us into here as a, as a family? Well, tell us, uh, so t- tell us what's a typical day like for uh, someone who is a state representative, especially uh, during the General Assembly, the time when they, they meet to carry out their business. The days are very, very busy, and you will, um, when I was in there, you would get started, of course, you go down to the, usually to the breakfast, you know, really early, they have the cafeteria downstairs, and you get to see a lot of people there, you kind of, you do your networking, uh, nobody else, visitors are down there then, it's too early for them, so you get your networking, then you go back up, and uh, you start returning, or looking through all your mail, looking through all your calls, and uh, just trying to stay back in touch, looking at all the bills that you're going to be dealing with on the committees you're on that day. Because, and that's one thing too, people, they, the legislators are spread thin like butter over too much bread in a way because they have so many things to look into that they can't know about all of it. There's no way. So they have to concentrate on their committees, one, of course, their bills and the things they're interested in. And that's why, you know, lobbying or calling them the constituents are so important because they need to hear what you're thinking because they may not know much about an issue just on the surface. But if they're hearing from a lot of people and especially from people in their district, they'll take notice and you can have a big impact on them. And that's just like during this last uh, session here at the very end, you know, the um, the gaming bill uh, six you know, was coming up and everybody thought it was dead. Well, then we get word, you know, nothing is dead until the session is completely over. Anything can happen. And so we get word that it's a close vote, and they're thinking about possibly bringing that back up, you know. And that's why, you know, word went out to get on the phones or email and let your legislator know what you think about this. Because they need to have some moral support, too. I mean, they need to be able to, they can take tough votes, but it's a lot easier to take a tough vote when you said, well, all these people have contacted me and that's what they want so 
Well, Dwight, you may have just you may have just said it, but uh, what would be something about being a, a state representative or even a state senator that that's that folks in elected office wished that people on the outside knew about your work that we that maybe we just we just don't know or don't understand? I would say that just how busy they are and how many people are pulling at them. And so you need to stay in touch with them. But during the session, you know, they're they're very busy. And if you can just, you know, stay in touch or keep that hitting into and let them know what you think, but don't expect to be getting a big long interview or a big long phone call or whatever, because they appreciate that. You know, they want to hear from you, but you just don't have time. The days in Frankfurt are so fast when you're a legislator because there's something to do all the time. There's always somebody to meet with. There's always somebody to call. There's always a group that you need to take a picture with. And there's always, you know, and then the session, besides that, this is all besides the session, you know, besides what your real business is and going through and uh, reading the bills and trying to keep up with them and persuade the other legislators. It's hard if you've got a bill the way it is now to actually meet them face to face. It's pretty tough because they're scattered all over the place. So you're just, if you're working a bill like that, it takes a lot of time. Well, they're now, so busy, and, and, and then they're, they're working on a number of, of different bills. And what folks may not know is it's it's not a full-time job. It, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of like being a bivocational pastor. It's full-time work, part-time pay. But uh, being a state legislator, it's a lot of work, but you, you can't make a living off of it. Is that right? That's true. I mean, and that's, and that's one thing that you see. Um, there's a lot of legislators. It's almost going to a system where you almost have to be independently wealthy or retired yeah. to do the job. I mean, just like if you're a, working in a job and you've got your responsibility, it's hard to go up anyway to do that because you got to take off, you know, two or three months a year. A lot of jobs won't do that, but they don't make a lot. And um, it just, it makes it harder. Their, their pay, I had a bill one time that would uh, have changed and made it where the third their fee, they set their own um, fee or what they make, which is a bad thing for them and for everybody else because they can't raise it hardly now. They they could, and people say, oh, they're going to raise it. They won't. If you had an independent commission do that, it would set it where it should be with other vocations in the time. But as long as it stays like it is, it's just like it's got a lid on it, and it'll never change. And so that's going to push more and more to being almost like the House of Lords or something. Mm -hmm. Or it's just a situation, it's an honor to serve, which it is, but it's almost a loss to do it. And well, I don't know if we want to go or not. You know? Just reading those bills, you almost have to be a lawyer to be able to read and make sense of a, of a bill because yeah. in many cases they've been drafted or at least partially sure. drafted by folks with a strong legal background. So yeah. it, it appears to be a great deal of, of work. I appreciate those who do it. Dwight, during your time, you served in that role more than 20 years. What's mm -hmm. one piece of legislation that you were particularly proud of? Uh, well, being in the minority, <laughs> um, you don't pass a lot of legislation. I was fortunate, you know, I got several bills through, but most of them, um, I guess you'd say they weren't earth shattering or whatever, worked on several pieces of different legislators and bipartisan, but, uh, it's in, funny you talked about one of the, just what we were talking about earlier about wrecks and car wrecks and processions, funeral processions. 
the first bill I ever had was given to me by a friend of mine who was an attorney. And again, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, he said, okay, introduce this. Here's language. Okay, well, I'm a minority and I shouldn't have got it passed anyway. So went ahead, it's going through the process, and, you know, moving on through, passed through the House, which was amazing. Got over in the Senate and it got stuck in the committee. And here's a lesson on people on what to do too, on legislation. So that wouldn't be heard. And I said, I asked one of my friends, so what can I do to get something to happen here? He said, well, you need to get, he said, who's the chairman of this committee? And I told him, he said, do you have any, uh, get a friend of yours to contact the funeral directors and know that he knows in his area and they'll move it for you. It wasn't long. Bill was called up. One of my, you know, they called him because I was calling him. It wasn't doing any good. I might have been, you know, talking to the wind. And that bill came on through, passed out. Didn't know what I was doing. And it went on and became my first bill, got, you know, passed into law. And it was cutting in funeral processions, somebody, you know, for respect to keep people from doing that. And that made it where they could have, you know, lights or make it because there were no laws on it. You could just cut in, you could go in front or do whatever. But, uh, so, so, you know, that was, <laughs> for me, that was pretty memorable. And I got on TV because of it. You know, again, just, so I'm here in the studio and, you know, Saturday morning looking around and everybody's got on their suits and stuff and shorts. You know, that was an eye opener to me. You know, here it goes to all this matter, just like right here. So, you know, and it was just, it was really interesting. But, uh, and the last bill I had, Again, another one I introduced time or two and I was working on. This was just simply to change the Purple Heart uh, plate from saying a Purple Heart veteran to combat wounded. You know, they had asked some of the groups, because people don't know what Purple Heart means, combat wounded. So across the nation, they're changing it. Introduced this thing, it would go up and it would die. It would go up and it would die. Finally introduced it. And... Uh, so I get a call. Well, your bill is going to be heard today. So I can't get over there. I don't worry about it. And they said, we'll take care of it in the committee. They went ahead and voted on it. I wasn't even there. Didn't expect to be voted. Next thing I know, it's on the consent. Passed out. You know, here at work for three or four years trying to do it. And then all of a sudden, it just takes care of itself. And so, and again, that one, you know, the governor, the veterans groups there and all this, they gave me a purple bat, you know, a little, a little slugger. And I didn't do anything. Well, you, you just hearing you describe it, you learned a lot about how something gets done in, in, in Frankfurt. Um, you mentioned the gaming bill. I can't, I can't imagine the number of lobbyists that the gaming industry has in Kentucky. They're, uh, don't tell me how many people are lobbying to get gambling legislation through in, in the state. And yet folks who want to oppose gambling, oftentimes they don't hear from anybody. But if they can get a phone call or two, it really makes a big difference from what I understand. It does. And again, something like that, you hit the nail on the head. You know, there's a lot of money. I mean, the lobbyists, there's money poured in on these issues where there's money to be made like that. And so if you're against something in that order, the strongest, you don't have any money to give them. You're not, you know, we're not doing this, to whatever. But you're calling in from the people. And that's where the strength is at. Yeah. You know, it's in the grassroots. It's hearing from uh, their constituents. No, if they hear somebody from Pike County and they're down here, that's one thing. But if they hear from somebody in their hometown or their one, so it's strong, and that's that's what's. I mean, honest, that's what stopped it. It just that's great. You know, great reminder. Prayer, prayer in that, yeah. Uh, one voice can 
one voice can really make a difference on on a yeah. important important issue and people want to do the right thing but as you said having the, those calls from the county where the person represents can give them the additional support that they need. Well, Dwight, not only do you have a history in legislature, you also have a history with Kentucky Baptists. And so tell us about your involvement in your local church. What church are you a member of and how are you involved there? Well, I'm a member of Green River Memorial Baptist here in Campbellsville. And um, we've been, we moved here four years ago. So I've been going there uh, about three and a half years, I guess. And before that, I was with Severance Valley. Uh, I was a deacon over there uh, for about, I don't know, 10 years, I guess, when we lived there. And then before that, I was at Hardinsburg Baptist. Okay. And uh, that was the first Baptist church I went to. And um, I was a deacon down there. That's been a long time ago. But that's that's my home down there in that area in Hardinsburg, Reference County. So. Well, that's yeah, so. There's another role that's often misunderstood by folks. Uh, people think deacons run the kind of run the church sometimes, but what's a, what's a deacon actually do? What what are the traits of a good deacon? Uh, I think it goes back to about the same as the traits of a good public servant. Honestly, you um, you're out there to serve people. You're out there to meet their needs. You're out there if they have a problem. You're kind of the go between, maybe, or um, you you're the representative. And you you just do what they when they have a trouble or a problem or something needs to be solved or an issue needs to be moved up to someplace else or who do I need to call about this? It's kind of the same role, yeah. except you know you're bathed in prayer hopefully at this, and where the public servants um, maybe yes maybe no. Uh, you're just you're just trying to help you're trying to help people. Well, Dwight, so you work uh, kind of part time with the KBC mm -hmm. with the convention. Mm -hmm. You are what we would have called an issues advocate. Uh, others would call maybe a, a lobbyist. And you started this role in recent months. What made you interested in this position? Well, as I said, the, um, I was contacted a couple of years ago by a gentleman about it who had been in it. And he was contemplating not being there anymore. And just wanted to know if I would consider. And then at that time, it was straight on the heels of COVID, right after I had the operation, all this you know, going on. And I just told him that, um, you know, I just wasn't ready at that time. But I was very, you know, interested if the time ever came forward. And so rolling forward a couple of years, um, Lawrence Smith, who I respect highly, called me and he asked me, you know, about if I would consider that. And I said, let me pray about it and with my family and see what they think. And, you know, I got the green light from them and I felt like I got the green light from the Lord. And I asked, you know, if something to be blocked, block it. And it wasn't. And um, it's been great. I, I really enjoy being back. We're, we're grateful for you in the in the role. And, and Dwight, you just mentioned uh, COVID and then also that you had a, a major surgery. So you underwent a heart transplant in 2019. And yeah. that's, a, that's about as major as it, as it gets. How has that experience impacted your perspective on, on life? It's, it's made me see that life is very short, you know, and um, things can change in an instant. And uh, you just, you have to appreciate your family and your time. You know, after being in the hospital, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, honestly, it really was. It, um, because you, you see how little you can do on your own. You're totally dependent on somebody else taking care of you. 
and you can't do it. You just, and that's what whenever the, before the surgery and things, people said, oh, aren't you concerned about that? Aren't you worried? I said, I'm not worried. The surgeon needs to be worried. I'm going to be asleep while it's going on. <laughs> and if I don't wake up, you know, I'm better off. So, Dwight, I've got to tell you, I think I would have felt the need to help him worry just a little bit if, <laughs> if it was me. But that's sort of the way it is. Well, so what's the recovery like on the other side of a, a heart transplant? How long does it take to be where you're kind of back up and going again? Not as long as you'd think, actually. It, um, I had actually, before that, I'd had a VAD, a heart pump put in. You heard of those before? It's a ventricular-assisted device. It's just okay. basically a, a pump that, you know, they, you have a battery on your side, and at nighttime, you plug it into the wall, and you've got a cord that goes in, you know, through your belly that operates this pump. And so that was a heart thing. Well, I had that, and that's an open-heart surgery deal. So whenever I got rid of that, and then when I got the transplant, uh, it was about, I don't know, plus I had the transplant in November. I was home in like the 10th of December. And, you know, you just start exercising and going again. And wow. I don't know, maybe three or four months, you know, I was pretty much back to normal, except, and then COVID hit. <laughs> and so that, you know, that kind of threw everything uh, out of whack, but other than that, I was good. Incredible experience. Hey, let's talk a little bit about leadership. Who is one of the most effective leaders that you've had a chance to work with closely or even see from a little bit of a distance? I'm talking uh, about political leaders in particular. Local or, uh, or just some, some, maybe someone in Frankfurt that you worked with or that you that you watched there. Um, that's a good question. Um, David Williams was a very effective leader. Yeah. And from his eyes, I mean, David, he had the kind of personality that was, you either liked him or you didn't. And, you know, David has changed a lot since then. You know, I admire the way he's, things he's done and changed. But, uh, you know, he was, he got things done. And he was involved in the, in the, when the takeover of the Senate and the negotiations of that, and that's one of these type of things that couldn't just happen boom overnight. But he did that. And, um, you know, I was Ernie Fletcher. He was a good leader when he was in there. And, um, you know, Governor Bevan, you know, he was he was a good leader. Um, I've learned from all of them. I mean, the first governor I had was Governor Jones I had for like a year. And, um, but you just... Uh, I tell you, uh, I've been reading a lot here lately about Jimmy Carter, and he was—he was an interesting gentleman and president. And the kind of the conflicts that he had back and forth with being a Christian and a Baptist, and you know, trying to balance that out is interesting to see how how he went through that. Um, so. And he's one, too, that, you know, it goes back to if um, if you can, you know, be a peanut farmer and basically just a regular guy and you can become president. So yeah, that's, it's, his story is really, really amazing. Uh, Dwight, when you think about these leaders that you've worked around and some names that you've mentioned, what are two or three traits that you notice in them that that made them effective in their leadership? I think the strongest thing is uh, your word, yeah. you know. If you, that's the thing in Frank, where people talking about politicians, you know, being liars and all this and, and um, you know, not hedging. And that's true to a degree. But if you, if you tell somebody something and you don't back it up, you're done. You have no, you have no authority. 
you can't be trusted, you know, because it's all just, it's word of mouth. It's your word. You're not writing a check that I'm going to, or writing a statement, I'm going to vote for you or I'm going to do this or that. And so uh, that's what they had to have. And they had to have a, uh, they had to know what the, what they wanted, what was the end goal. Not so much how to get there, but what do I want? And that's a hard thing for most of us to grasp. You know, we're out here and we're not, we're thinking, well, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to, you know, it's not, what's the end? <laughs> you know, I'll find out a way to get there, yeah. but that's what they had. What's, what's something that you saw happen in Frankfurt either during your time or since then that's really surprised you? And, and one might be the, the fact that the Republican kind of takeover of, of, um, of the legislature. But, uh, what, what would you say to that? What's something that you've seen take place that's, that's kind of surprised you? Well, that, that happened quicker than I thought it would. I think everyone, I even had um, you know, Speaker Stumbo's um, former secretary, she said, we know it's going to happen. You know, it's just trying to hold off. But when it did happen, it was just kind of like an avalanche. Yeah. You know? And then uh, all this pro-life legislation that had been bottled up for so long, you know, came on through. And it was always, when I was there, it was always kind of a holding pattern, you know, just we're going up against the wall. And and then it's just like the wall crumbled. And here comes on. It's like this past session. This was a great session. Yep. It really was. I mean, for from a Christian standpoint, from just a citizen standpoint, from good government, it was a very productive session. Well, Dwight, what are some takeaways from this session? So the set, for folks who may not really follow Frankfurt very closely, the session starts in January, I think ends at the end of, uh, end of April or around this time of year. Right. And so what are some things that happen during this session that, that are kind of significant, especially for believers? Well, several bills were passed and several of the bills were vetoed that were, you know, pro-Christian, I would say, or pro um, the pro-life bill, like H Bill Three, you know, that had several things with it, moving the time back on the on the weeks and the, uh, taking care of the fetal remains and different like things like that, uh, and it ended up being a bigger bill than you know it started out to, but many good points, and so it was vetoed and it was overridden, which used to be something that didn't happen very often, and of course now it's still you know going through the court system on what's actually going to be the final outcome but that was a big bill um in fact i'm just glancing here at some of my notes um senate bill 83 the women's fairness and women's sports bill that was a that was a big bill and um you know there again it just comes back to um you know do you want to have uh females against females or females against males and what is the equality in that what is the fairness? No matter what you believe, it's <laughs> it, it comes back to what is uh, what is fair. Um, and then going to the religious liberty bills, you know, that where we had the churches shut. The church is essential or something like that, I think, was uh, yeah. the, the reference. Yeah. Yeah. Forty three. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that passed. And again, um, and the gaming, you know, that got stopped. These were the good ones that went through, many more. But the gaming was stopped, which was did not look like it's going to happen at one time. 
that medical marijuana, you know, again, whatever you believe in it, it's it needed to be slowed down. And the governor then, you know, he picked up and he's going to do a study, which is, you know, that's fine. Things need to be studied, but you got to be slow. You got to be uh, methodical. You have to look what you're doing. And so that's what the, was done. To, it's kind of like you've heard Ben Franklin talk about it with the Senate and the House, you know, back in the day in Congress. And same thing here. You know, he said the, the House is kind of hot and it's, you know, kind of like a coffee cup or whatever. And the Senate is the, you know, underneath and it catches over and cools off. So a lot of things come through the House that are, then it goes to the Senate and they don't hear it because it may not be time to hear it. And so we had the same type of thing here, but that's where we stopped. Um, but, you know, those are big pieces. Those are big victories. And the state had a lot of money this time, which is unusual. But they didn't blow it all. They put yeah. a lot of the rainy day fund. And uh, so there were a lot of people that wanted to spend every nickel that they had and then more. You know, and that's what kind of we used to do back when I was in the minority. Yeah, sure. Uh, because it, uh, you know, we worry about that tomorrow. Yeah. But this bunch is very physically responsible. So, again... A good, a good session. I'll have to commend them. And there's something else going back to that. What I would tell people to do, and that's what you did, you know, publicly, is to thank them. Yeah. You know, we tell them what we want, and we're badgering on them, you know, if they don't do what we want, but we need to thank them when they do what, you know, and they remember that. We really have some incredible elected leaders, and I won't, I won't mention names of any of those you you know many of them but we have some really godly people in elected office in in frankfurt and, and boy do our do our folks well to get to know some of these people and and spend time with them pray for them and yes. and encourage them every chance you get in fact there are a number of pastors that are uh, i was surprised to see how many not, yes. not that many baptists but uh, how many pastors there are so speak to that person just for a second who may have an interest in running for elected office uh, what do they need to think about what are the costs outside the financial cost? Uh, why should a person want to consider a Christian, a committed believer, want to consider running for elected office in Kentucky? I think that um, there are many reasons. I think that the first would be to, to uh, serve the Lord, really. Mm -hmm. you know, if you feel called to that, you need to act on it, whether you think you can win or or not <laughs> you need to make that decision you need to pray about it because it comes back to this you have a responsibility you know you can't you can't be responsible to win but you have a responsibility to run and if you're so inclined because someone's going to be in that position and they might be a great person it might be an open situation but no matter what, somebody's going to be having the oversight of you and your children and your grandchildren and your family and your community. And, you know, who better than yourself? You know what you'll do. That's what I always tell people. I know pretty much what I'll do. I don't know what somebody else will do. And you don't. And so it's a great opportunity. It's a, it was a great experience for me. Now, there is the cost, though, like you said. There's a time cost. There's a cost to being away from your family. There's a cost to them because you become kind of a little celebrity. So you can't, you go to Walmart and while you're, you know, any store, while you're there, everybody's, or someone's going, 
they're telling you stuff because now you're you belong to them kind of you're you're their public officials it doesn't matter if your kids are along with your wife whatever they're going to come and you're going to need to talk to them they don't like that much <laughs> the family doesn't and you sure. can't blame them see well, and, and that's what uh, after a while it wears on them and uh, folks folks in ministry especially are used to are you yeah that's what i'm that. saying you know exactly what i'm talking about you know so so speak to it just for a second and we'll wrap up um help people understand why their phone calls, their emails, their relationships with their elected leaders, why do those relationships make a difference and why, why must believers continue to try and let folks know how we, how we view the the issues that come up in Frankfurt. The relationships mean everything because if you know someone, you're more apt to listen to them. If you know them, you know, why, why does a, someone win their precinct and may lose every other precinct around because the people know them. Whether they like them or not, they know them. They know they can get in touch with them if something happens. And that's the same principle. If you have, if you stay in touch or you just tell them thanks or just how are you doing, whatever, you're just staying in touch with them, email, text anymore, you know, phone calls. Then when something comes up, they're more apt to listen to you because they know you to a degree. If you're a stranger, I might listen to you. I might not. Mm-hmm. Chances are, I'm, you know, I'm less apt to. But in the same token, even the ones that have voted, you know, people are not going to vote on for you every issue every time. And we need to keep that in mind. But you still need to respect the office and you need to let them know that you appreciate the things they have done more so than trash them. It's like now, now is, this is a time to build relationships after all this is over and you're not trying to get them to do something. You're not, uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you're politicking, you go to a picnic and you're campaigning. And when you go in an election year, people expect you to be there. And if you're not, it's a negative. If you go, if you're elected, they don't expect you and so it's a positive, and that's when you build relationships. Constant campaigning, constant relationship building. It's all the same. No difference. So if folks want to reach out to their elected leader, they can go to ky.gov, I think, and find out who your senator, who your representative yes. is. This would be a great time to send them an email, make a what phone is. call, introduce yourself, and you might get a chance yeah. to meet them and, yeah. and just pray for them and express yes. appreciation. Yes. And, and that, I, I, that's something you hit on right there, too. I've had a lot of, uh, there's a group that goes and they pray with the legislators. And, you know, they, they will go and I was talking to them. They said, yeah, we prayed with this great majority of them, which is really good, you know, and they appreciate that. But we need to be doing it without them knowing it. I mean, they need to know it, but yeah. whether they do or not, we need to do it. Well, Dwight, thank you for your service to our to the Lord through serving as a state representative. Thank you now for your work. Uh, you're uh, advocating for the issues that Kentucky Baptists care about. We're grateful for you, and thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. All right, thank you, Dr. Gray. I appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been an honor to be here, and look forward to working uh, with you in the future. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.